The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Season 16 is here, and we start off with a bang. First off, what happens if someone's furry fetish becomes contagious? And then we take a look at a terrifying true crime story ripped right from the pages of a horror novel. A young woman named Nelda leaves a note for her living boyfriend saying, I'll be right back, I'm going to the store. And she is never seen again. Or was she? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I just got off of my two-week vacation that I take every 50 episodes. It's always super invigorating for me to do that. I played a ton of Fortnite. I shot a bunch of children in the head. That's basically what Fortnite is, right? I'm basically demolishing 12-year-old children uh, for my own entertainment. But I'm glad you guys are back to listen to more Dead Rabbit Radio. The show would be nothing without the fluffle. First off, let's go ahead and introduce one of our new Patreon supporters. Coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now is longtime listener of the show, longtime giving me stories guy. I don't know if we should have an official title for that. It's Fabio Nurbon. Everyone give a round of applause to Fabio. He's walking in the Dead Rabbit Command. I don't want to dox the dude, but he's like our Italian correspondent. He's like, dang it, I'm in witness protection. You weren't supposed to say what country I was in. He's been our Italian correspondent. He sent us a bunch of stuff. Fabio, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. Word of mouth helps the show grow. Fabio, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. Let's get it out of the garage. We haven't used it in a couple weeks. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed all the way out to old-timey Germany. Old car, old Germany. That's perfect. Now, when I say old Germany, I'm not saying like 1944. That's not where we're going. We're going like way old-timey back, like past black and white. We're in sepia tone land. This is like pre-1879. That's somewhere between the evolution of life on Earth and 1879, this story takes place. You can picture dinosaurs in the background if you would like, but I don't—I honestly don't think it took place that far back. We're in the town of Dodau. That's in Wittenberg, Germany. And in this town, there was an old... You're like, damn it, Jason. Are you just reading? Are you just reading us a fairy tale? Okay, hold on. Hold your fairy tale related suspicions till the end. There's this old woman living in the town of Dudau, and she always has poultry to eat. She always has like a duck or chicken or a geese. And she's always like, oh man, <laughs> she's bratty. She's walking around town. She has a big gold chain. That's a picture of a turkey leg. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know if everyone else in this town was going hungry, but it was suspicious that she was always eating big geese. And she's this old lady, right? She's not walking around with an Elmer Fudd musket. So 
people were a little suspicious. Specifically, her grandchildren were like, I bet you there's something up with grandma, because she seems to... <laughs> she's always flossing on us with how much meat she has. It's, Look at our bones, they're so weak. So they spy on the grandma, and they realize that... I didn't know this was a thing. It makes sense. There's a thing called a fox strap. Now, I know what a wolf strap is. It's like a belt made of wolf fur. Turns you into a werewolf. But this old lady, she had a fox strap, so she'd put it on, and she'd turn into a fox... And she'd run, and then she'd kill geese and chickens and ducks and stuff, and then drag them back to her hovel, and then cook them. I don't know why she just didn't eat them raw as a fox, but, you know, maybe, maybe raw geese taste disgusting. I don't know. So anyways, the grandkids are like, oh, dude, that's dope. Our grandma's a fox. But, you know, they also know that, like, snitches get stitches, so they're not going to turn their grandma in. Plus, now she's cutting them in. Now that they know the secret, they're, like, getting extra meat. But one day at school, the teacher was like teaching class and he goes, hey, everyone. So we've learned the alphabet and we've learned all about these numbers. He's <laughs> stuff to talk about. That's all he knows. For whatever reason, they start talking about magic in the class. And he's like, yes, magic is real because it's old timey Germany and we still believe stuff like that. And the kids are super excited. They're like, oh, now we can finally participate. <laughs> we never learned the alphabet, but we can participate in this discussion. And they start to tell the schoolmaster and the other students, oh, our grandma has magical powers. She has this fox strap that she puts on. She becomes a fox. And I think the people in class probably didn't believe them. <laughs> they believed in magic. They believed in the evil eye and curses. But they're like, ah, I don't know. I've heard of a wolf strap. Never heard of a werefox. So the kids need to pr- they need to bring this in for show and tell. So they go to the grandma's house. You're like, Jason, this is a fairy tale, right? I'm like, hold on. Hold on. Let me finish it. So they go to the grandma's house. And they sneak in. There's fairy tale music playing. There's a fairy narrating the whole story. They crept around the corner with little kid feet. And they get into their grandma's storage center. And they steal the fox trap. Now, I don't know what the grandma was doing right now. Because she should have caught these dudes. But she didn't. They got the fox trap. And they take it to school the next day. Because they're like, we got to prove to these dudes that magic exists. So they bring the fox strap to the schoolmaster, and they're like, look, this, they give, basically they give him a grody piece of fox skin, like dried up fox skin, and goes, my grandma wears this at night or during the day or whenever foxes live, and she runs around and chases geese and brings them back home, and we all eat geese. And the schoolmaster's like, oh, you know, I've heard the legends of the wolf strap. This seems odd. I've never heard of the fox strap before. So the schoolmaster gets the fox strap. And he's like, I don't know, this is just kind of like a gross piece of fur. <laughs> it hurts the kid's feelings. They're like, aw. And then, I, I, if someone gave you a, a wolf's belt, you would assume you'd put it on like a belt, right? Hold up your, your trousers or your pantaloons or something. But apparently with a fox, this makes sense actually now I think about it, foxes are tinier. So a fox belt wouldn't wrap around your waist unless you were like a little Thumbelina person. So... This belt isn't activated by putting it around your waist. This belt is activated by putting it, touching it to your forehead. And the schoolmaster unknowingly, like he maybe saw like a fly landing on his forehead and he wanted to swat it, or there was just a a bit of sweat on his brow. He goes, oh, this smelly fox meat will get rid of this tiny drop of sweat. He touches his forehead with it and instantly, in front of the entire class, turns into a fox. He makes a little fox noise. Now, the class freaks out, right? And they scream so loud it scares Professor Fox. So he jumps out the window and runs away. 
Now, everyone in town is made very aware of this situation. It's not something that kids would go home and they're like, what happened at school today? Nothing. And they're just like eating their porridge. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure class was dismissed for that day, right? Everyone went home. And so everyone in town knew about the professor who turned into a fox. What are you going to do, right? It's like a fox. There's a bunch of foxes in the area, probably. That grandma's starving to death. She's like, oh, no, where's where's my belt? She's withering away. Fox takes off. And the fox finds this little hill and makes a house. Makes a fox house. A nest, whatever that is, a cave. So when I'm reading this, when I'm reading this fairy tale, when I'm reading this, what can only be described as a fairy tale, I thought, man, he's really adapting to fox life very quickly. Like, if I turned into a fox, I'd be like, bros, help me. And then I, I assume I'm doing it on a Friday night when I'm sitting around with my buddies. They're like, Jason, we told you not to touch that fox skin to your forehead. I'm like running around. I'm like, guys, help me. And then we maybe go on like some hangover jackass-esque adventure where I'm just like a fox and like we go to Vegas or something like that, I would assume that's what I would do. And my whole goal would be to one, meet a sexy fox. And then two, um, to turn back into a human. And now I have a sexy fox. I'm like, oh no, these babies, these babies are going to be monsters. But you know what I mean? Okay, maybe scratch the sexy fox part for the people who didn't shut off the podcast. Scratch that part. But you'd want to turn back into a human as soon as possible. Sexy fox or not. He doesn't do that. He just makes a house. That'd be the last thing I would do. I wouldn't make a house. I would live in in my human house. But he makes a house. So he's like in it for the long run. Uh, Being a fox must be pretty cool. So what happens, though, is everyone in town is like, dude, don't don't go outside for a while. You can't go outside because uh, there's a human fox. There's a werefox running around. Even though we can't, we can no longer attend the funeral of that poor old woman who's starving to death. Don't go outside. But there's a random group of hunters in the area, and they're hunting foxes. And they see this fox running around on the hill, and they're like, oh, dude, this is perfect. Let's blow this thing's brains out. They load their muskets, and they fire. And all of a sudden, a naked dude is sitting on the hill. And he's like, ah, don't shoot, don't shoot. What had happened was the bullet had hit the fox strap and shattered it or ripped it into pieces. And then he immediately turned back into a naked dude. And then at that point, since he, like, werewolves, the penalty of werewolves was death. If you could shapeshift, you were immediately put to death. So that, you know, he was probably a little worried. There's a bunch of guys with guns. Luckily, it takes them like three minutes to reload them, so they have time to think. But he's like, I, listen, I didn't mean to become a fox. This kid brought this thing to school. I thought it was fake. Had a little bit of sweat on my forehead. I touched my forehead. And they go, how long did that happen? He's like, I don't know, eight months, a year. They're like, well, you took to being a fox pretty quickly. So that is the, st- he goes back, he goes back home and apparently gets his job back. He doesn't get fired for turning into a fox. The union's going to have to update their contract to make that a fireable offense. And th- then the na- the hill that he went to make his house on, they named Fox Hill. So today you can go to the Dow, you can go to Fox Hill, and you can probably like walk around and maybe maybe find his babies. Maybe he met a sexy fox as well. I think they probably named it Fox Hill just so he would never forget the fact that he became a fox. Because I mean, there's hill, there's animals on every hill, right? And you're like, there's not, 
there's not were animals on every hill. Turtle Bay wasn't named that because there was a were turtle floating around. But yeah, so Fox Hill, a constant reminder to this man that one day he turned into a fox in front of all of his students and then spent quite a while in the middle of nowhere naked. And then he had to come back home and ask for his job back. So I did find that story in a book written by a guy named Carl Barch. He's an author and a historian. The book was called Legends, Fairy Tales, and Customs. So take take a choice, right? <laughs> I consider that a legend. I consider that an urban legend. But Legends, Fairy Tales, and Customs from Mecklenburg. Mecklenburg. I say it's a legend. You may say that sounded suspiciously like a fairy tale. I looked into to some more of the stuff that Carl Barch wrote. Because he did a lot of research on like medieval time Germany. And he had this tip. He had all these tips on like how to not have nightmares. Which I assume you would have a bunch of nightmares if you lived in Germany at any point in your life. So let's say you're having... This might actually save your life. Let's take another vehicle for this. Uh, Fabio, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're leaving behind Germany. We're headed to your bedroom while you're sleeping. <laughs> We're standing... You're, you're asleep. If you're listening to this, you're asleep right now. And the rest of the show is standing around you, staring at you while you sleep. And then I talk really loudly to explain this. The way to stop nightmares is this. You have a keyhole in your door. You stuff it. You you put like tissue in it. You don't. I mean, apparently, once you do this, you're never leaving the room, right? You're all using super glue. You put. Generally, they used hay, and the keyholes were bigger. I think if you stuck hay into a modern keyhole, you're gonna have to call a locksmith. You're like, oh, what a perfect night. No nightmares at all. <laughs> you realize you died of carbon monoxide poisoning. You sealed off the room. You stick in hay or whatever into your keyhole. That's step one. Two, put your shoes with the... T- take your shoes off. I <laughs> just said that for you for you dummies out there who would spend the rest of the night just standing there. Take your shoes off and place the toes facing the door and then walk backwards to bed. He has another tip, which may be more or less feasible depending on your bed. You take a piece of steel and you put it in your bed straw. So back then, back then they were basically a bunch of like hobos. They were sleeping on piles of hay, super itchy. But you put something in there. Now, if you're like on a Tempur-Pedic mattress or if you're in a water bed, I do not recommend doing this. You're like, oh, no nightmares tonight as you're drowning. I don't know in a modern like sleep foam bed if you can take like a file, like a steel file and shove it in. But my favorite way to stop a a nightmare. This is one you can do today. You don't sleep on straw. You're no longer riding the rails like some crazy hobo. You don't wear shoes. You wear Crocs and they can't face the door. You don't want to stuff up your doorknob. I totally get it. This last one you can do today, provided you live near a body of water. This one's great. This one's great. First off, it has my first favorite ingredient ever to any sort of spell or ritual or just anything. Urinate in a clean clean new bottle. So you got to get a new bottle for this. You're having these horrible nightmares. So you go to the new bottle store and you grab a grab a bottle. You take it home. (laughs) Don't do it at the store. You will get you will get arrested. You urinate in a clean new bottle and then you have to hang the bottle in the sun for three days. So you got to let that urine, you really got to let that urine just bubble up. It's, it's super hot. It's like you're in the Sahara. You're like, ah, it's bubbling. It's boiling. Then 
after three days, you have to carry it without saying a word to a running stream and then throw it over your head into the stream. And after that, you'll have no nightmares. And I read that and I thought, that's not true. Like, not, not that I don't think it would work, but someone made that, someone made that up as a joke. I'm not saying Carl did, but someone made that up as a joke because let's picture this right now. You have to walk, you have to walk through your village. You have to walk through your medieval village holding a bottle of three day old <laughs> hot urine. And people are like, hey, Joey, what's up, bro? How you been? Hey, hey Joey, what are you carrying? Joe, Joe, Joey? just walking through town. You can't say anything, right? You're just walking through town. Hey, br- dude, what's... Dude, are you carrying urine? Hey, J- Joey, jo- Joey, what's going on? You just walk through the village, totally quiet, and then they see you get to stream, and you chuck it in the river, and then you walk up, you're like, hey, man, how's it been? <laughs> we need to hang out more often. That has to be a joke. No one could do that. I mean, I guess if you weren't walking through town, you're like skulking through the darkness with a... <laughs> That's even worse because they see, they know you're like the town weirdo who's always like hiding behind bushels of fruit with your urine. You're constantly spilling it all over their grocery stand. I think someone made that one up as a joke. I guess we can figure it out. Test this. Test this. If you live near a stream, live stream yourself, not the urinating part. We can skip that part, but live stream yourself throwing urine into the river unless, unless that is considered pollution in your area. Oh, man. I guess probably you can't do that this day. But I think out of all of them, that is the funnest one. And we had to end it on something fun because this next story is super creepy. Fabio, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind your bedroom. We are headed all the way out to Lake Charles, Louisiana. It's October 14th, 1993. We're in Lake Charles, Louisiana. There's a little house on 18th Street. And in this house, there is Nelda Louise Hardwick. She's a 34-year-old woman who seems to have lived a pretty rough life. She has numerous surgical scars all over her body. She has a full set of dentures. And her left leg is shorter than her right leg. So she walks with a very noticeable limp. But she, she's living her life. She's living her life. She has four kids, and she lives with her boyfriend, and they all have this little happy family. And on October 14th, 1993, bathing the kids, beatboxing on the kids, scrubbing them down with a big old brush, and then the boyfriend takes the kids and reads them bedtime stories, and they're like, that is the fairy tale of the teacher who became a fox. The kid's like, I think that's more of a legend. All the kids go to sleep, the boyfriend goes to sleep, and then the boyfriend wakes up next day and he sees a note on the table and says, I'm going out to the store. I'll be right back. Nelda. So he's like, oh, okay, you know, that's fine. She left a note. But then he realizes this note was left in the middle of the night. It's the morning now. She's still not home. So he calls the police. And the police begin an investigation fairly quickly on this because of, I, I'm assuming, health concerns. There's, what's interesting about the story is there's not a lot of information out there on this. Like, it's, it's fairly sensational, but I couldn't find a lot of stuff on this. But the police begin an investigation relatively quickly. When adults go missing in situations like that, the cops could be thinking, 
Maybe she just wants a new life. She has this boyfriend she doesn't want. She doesn't want the kids. She's like, I can't bathe these kids anymore. They're super gross. She bounced. But they start the investigation right away. They believe that not only is she involuntarily missing, but she's at risk. And they just believe that there's foul play involved. Their boyfriend's like, listen, she loved the kids. She never would have left the kids. Family members, everyone are saying this is so out of character for her. They start looking for her. And of course, everyone's hoping for the best. But she's not found. Five years later, May 8th, 1998. We're in Hancock County, Mississippi. That's 242 miles away. On Interstate 10. Cars are flying down the road. And out of nowhere, a woman runs onto the interstate and is instantly killed when a car hits her. Someone get an ambulance. Can I get a statement, please? So anyways, horrible, right? She's an unidentified woman. They take the photos of her, hoping someday they can find the loved ones, but they don't know who this woman is. They do the autopsy, cause of death, getting hit by a car. She is a Jane Doe, so she's buried in a potter's field, which is where you put people who we don't know who they are, they don't have enough money. Prisoners end up in potter's fields. Um, people, uh, unidentified victims end up in potter fields. They're basically just your gravestone is like a number because they don't know who you are. They put the body. To rest, they give you assign you a number like 191, unidentified body. In 2013, the Hardwicks are still looking for her. Nelda's family has never given up the search, and you do start to look at Jane Doe's. You 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 know checking hospitals, checking morgues, stuff like that. They and investigators come across the story of this woman who ran onto the road. They look at photographs of the body. They identify this deceased woman as Nelda. The coroner's then asked about this, and apparently he's shown the photographs as well, and he believes that it's Nelda. And he said it's actually a 1 in 1,000 chance that it's not her. This has to be the same woman. And they go, there's only one way to be sure. Go to the potter's field, dig up the bones, <laughs> do it at midnight when it's super spooky, there's a raven on a nearby gravestone, dig up the bones, and do a DNA test. Because she has relatives that are alive, and then you could conclusively say this was Nelda. So they dig up the grave. Ah, ah, open up the casket. <laughs> Spooky jack-o'-lantern is there, flamed. Little candle flickering. They open up the casket. Inside this coffin is a male's skeleton. Her body's grave marker was mislabeled. And they look out at the potter's field, all of these other graves. And they have no idea where the body of Nelda is. And the investigation is called off. To this day, Nelda is still reported as missing. But it's most likely the family and investigators believe there's a pretty good chance that she's in this potter's field. But what makes the story so terrifying? 
is what the coroner says. And, and really what I think a lot of us think when we're hearing this or reading this. She gets abducted in 1993, and five years later, a woman, Nelda, is running onto the interstate and gets hit by a car. And the coroner's theory is that she was kidnapped and kept alive for five years in captivity. Until one day, she finally escaped. And as she's running free for the first time in five years, she's also panicked and fearful that she will be caught again. She sees the interstate. She keeps running. Maybe she was trying to cross it, assuming that her pursuers would not be so risky. She could just get over the busy interstate. She has a shot. She has a chance at getting back to her family. Maybe she was running to the interstate and was hoping to flag down a car. Or maybe she knew she wasn't going to get away. This wasn't her first escape attempt. She'd done it before, but she knew this would be her last. She ran onto that freeway, hoping she wouldn't make it off the interstate alive. Suicide as opposed to slavery. Whichever one it is, or any multitude of others, it's a terrifying ending. The thing is, is even if we could, with 100% certainty, prove that that was Nelda on the interstate, if we could find the right set of remains, do the DNA test, and prove that was her, we still would not come any closer to answering the question where she had been for the past five years. What her life had been like. A young woman leaves her house at night, says goodbye to her sleeping children and her slumbering boyfriend, and goes to the corner store to get some groceries. She is then held in captivity for five years and then dies on a freeway. We know how depraved human beings can be towards each other. But a lot of us only know it in theory. We read about it in newspapers or we read about it in books or see it in movies and we understand that humans can be this dark. But Nelda knew it as a fact. She experienced, day by day, the brutality of humans. Humans so brutal, they kept her alive for five years after snatching her away from her family. Where was she all that time? Who had her? And are they looking for fresh victims to this day? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Hey, 